name is Colin Wolf, Assistant Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society in the City of New York. Welcome to our service video. Thank you for joining us. What follows are selections from our service on June 27, 2021, in which we celebrate the history and ongoing work of LGBTQ plus pride and liberation. In this video, you will hear both the reading and the reflection. The reading, written by Desmond Tutu, was delivered by worship associate, the Reverend Jill Bowden and Jason Sandler. The reflection was delivered by the Reverend Mark Cotolo, our summer worship minister. This video will not include our usual post-service discussion, but look for a return of that segment in upcoming videos. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week, posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, you're encouraged to give us a like, a share, or a subscribe. Thank you for watching. We begin with our reading. Jason Sadler and I would like to share this reading with you. Liberation is costly. Even after the Lord had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, they had to travel through the desert. They had to bear the responsibilities and difficulties of freedom. There was starvation and thirst and they kept complaining. They complained that their diet was monotonous. Many of them preferred the days of bondage and the flesh pots of Egypt. We must remember that liberation is costly. It needs unity. We must hold hands and refuse to be divided. We must be ready. Some of us will not see the day of our liberation physically. But those people will have contributed to the struggle. Let us be united. Let us be filled with hope. Let us be those who respect one another. Here ends our reading. For the past few months, many have wondered what kind of public celebrations would there be in June of 2021 in honor of LGBTQ Pride Month? Would the pandemic be under enough control that public celebrations could happen again? Would it be safe to celebrate Pride outdoors with or without masks? Just as with reopening our houses of worship, these decisions take lots of time and planning and it's hard to make plans in the midst of an unpredictable situation. So this year's Pride celebrations, which are still mostly virtual, have the same kind of feeling of in-betweenness that we feel and experience in the rest of our lives. A sense of eagerness to move forward, to celebrate surviving and thriving, and a sense of trepidation about whether it really is all right to be together again in the ways that we're used to. Whatever other public or private celebrations of pride you may be participating in this weekend, 
I'm glad that we can gather as a faith community here on Zoom to uplift the diverse range of identities and expressions which make up our congregation and city. This year, the official theme chosen by New York City's Heritage of Pride Committee is The Fight Continues. It's easy to see why the committee chose that theme for this year. Last year marked the 50th anniversary of the first Pride March, and the year before that marked the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. It could be easy to become complacent after two big anniversaries like that, and I imagine the committee wanted to remind people that there is still more to do. Also, I imagine that the committee took into consideration that many people in and outside of the LGBTQ community have felt shattered by all that's happened in the past year, which reminds us that there's more to fight for, whether that's for improved health and physical well being in the midst of a global pandemic or the economic hardships faced by many due to the pandemic, or climate disasters, or voter disenfranchisement laws being proposed and passed in many states, or issues of police brutality, or hate crimes that continue to happen and go unsolved. There's always a lot to fight for, and for some, it feels like these days there's more than usual. But regardless of whether that's actually the case or not, I find it interesting that we tend to use combative language to describe working for conditions that we wish to occur. We hear and talk about the fight for LGBTQ equality, the fight against COVID-19, the fight against climate change, the fight against cancer, the war on terror, the war on drugs, the war on poverty, the Cold War, the culture war. And of course, who can forget the swarms of insurrectionists who overtook the Capitol last January because they were told to fight like hell. The use of combative metaphors isn't limited to our era either. Going back to the New Testament of the Bible, St. Paul wrote about putting on the whole armor of God, holding the shield of faith, wearing the helmet of salvation, and taking the sword of the spirit, all with the purpose of combating what he saw as the spiritual forces of evil. The use of combative language can be used for both good and evil causes and intentions. With so many metaphorical fights, wars, and battles happening around us, is it any wonder that so many people feel fatigued, despondent, and hurt? It seems like nothing energizes us like a good fight, especially it's for a just cause that we sincerely believe in. And yet, even though I'm speaking of idiomatic expressions, I wonder if there might be other idioms or metaphors we could use to describe working together for more justice and better outcomes. I imagine that for many people, even just the nature of daily life with its demands, responsibilities, and routines, is stressful as it is. As people who are concerned about the world around us, we wish to make a big impact. And too often, we only have the capacity for small acts of kindness or generosity, even though we feel guilty for not doing more. While none of us would refuse to do the something which we can do, 
what helps me make peace with the limitations of our abilities to engage in any of the continuing fights going on around us is that thankfully, the repair and healing of our world does not depend on any one of us alone, nor on any group, community, congregation, or even country. When I read about LGBTQ history and the lives of those forebears who did what they could with what they had and knew, I'm impressed not only by any one person's individual efforts, but also with how the multitude of many people's ongoing efforts have helped the world as we know it to progress to the place we are now, a process which continues to evolve. This morning, I'd like to share with you a story about a group of people who in their own way challenged the paradigm they lived in in order to create more inclusion and recognition of the LGBTQ community and the unexpected ways those people's actions contributed to the progress we continue to see and make today. So I'd like to take you back to the 1950s. For some of us gathered here this morning, that's a period of time within living memory. And for others, it seems like ancient history. Looking back, the 1950s is noted for being a time when people valued conformity, uniformity, and compliance. And yet, the socially conservative atmosphere of that time couldn't completely suppress the lives of those LGBTQ people who were deemed by the legal, medical, and religious authorities as deviants, perverts, and sinners. Right now, through October, if you go to the New York Historical Society, which is across the street from Fourth Universalist Society, you can view a magnificent outdoor photo exhibition that highlights photographic images taken by ordinary New Yorkers from the pre-Stonewall era who spent their summer vacation on the secluded beach town of Cherry Grove on Fire Island. For those who haven't been, Fire Island is nothing more than a little sandbar off the coast of Long Island. But for generations of sexual minorities, it's been a place where opportunities for social and sexual self-expression and exploration were possible in a way which wasn't possible on the mainland and certainly not in the 1950s. The photos in the exhibition are mostly casual, featuring images ranging from same-sex couples posing in front of their cottage, to groups of gay men wearing humorous costumes for a party, or groups of lesbians lounging together on the beach, or gender non-conforming people wearing elaborate outfits and headdresses, or gay male and lesbian thespians acting together in the community theater. The Polaroid camera had just become commercially available and this gave people in Cherry Grove the freedom to photograph themselves candidly without risking the judgment of a clerk at a shop. As one of the curators of the exhibition noted about the relaxed quality of the people depicted in the photos, most people didn't share themselves in that way because they couldn't be documented. It could be held against them legally. And so therefore, the candidly joyful and intimate nature of the photos were in their own way, quietly revolutionary. In an audio recording, which accompanies one of the photos, one of the subjects in the photo, who is now 90 years old, 
says about her time in Cherry Grove in the 50s. It was an escape for everyone to be able to come out here on the weekend and be yourself. It was a safe haven. I could say to someone, I'm Audrey Hartman and I'm gay. Most of the photos are bright and cheery, but a few of the pieces at the exhibit show a more complicated aspect to life in Cherry Grove in the 1950s. For example, newspaper clippings from the time which published the local police blotter, which featured the names, addresses, and places of employment of gay men who are arrested on Fire Island by Suffolk County police for essentially committing victimless crimes, especially since homosexuality would still be criminalized in New York until the early 1980s. Those who are arrested in these circumstances would expect mistreatment by law enforcement and would certainly lose their jobs and would have difficulty maintaining any type of social standing back in their communities. What impressed me about this exhibition beyond the beauty of the photos was how even in an era when everything conspired to make these people invisible and criminal, somehow, some way, through word of mouth and clandestine networks of like-minded individuals, people were able to create and find a welcoming community on a sandbar of all places where people could take pleasure in one another's company, in costume parties, theatrical events, backyard tea dances, and more. I admire these people's ability to essentially create seemingly out of nothing, something beautiful. And while these people weren't actively engaged in activism in the photos that are displayed at the exhibition, it reminds me that pride is a protest, but it's also a party. And while fighting for one's rights is an important aspect of activism, that it's also okay to eat, drink, and be merry, since that too is something that we can't always take for granted. The little beach village that these people developed in the middle of the 20th century continues to be a place where people of diverse backgrounds can find community and express themselves freely. Many of the people photographed in the exhibit wouldn't live long enough to physically see the day of their social and legal liberation. And they couldn't have imagined the social and political progress which would be made in the decades to come but they certainly contributed to the struggle. At the beginning of my sermon, I mentioned how we tend to use combative language to describe achieving a goal and wondered what other metaphors or idioms we could use. Seeing the creative, clear, uh, clever, and artistic photos in the exhibition across the street from the church reminded me that maybe one of those metaphors could also be artistic and creative. I then remembered one of the beloved hymns from our hymnal, number 170. We are a gentle, angry people with lyrics and music by Holly Near, who came out of the closet as a lesbian in 1976. For some reason, I remembered the lyrics in the refrain as being, we are a gentle, angry people and we are fighting fighting for our lives. When I actually checked the hymnal, I was happy to discover that in fact, the lyrics are actually, we are a gentle, angry people, 
and we are singing, singing for our lives. Whatever metaphors or idioms you use to describe how you work to achieve more justice, love, acceptance, creativity, or connection in your life and in the lives of others, let us be as Desmond Tutu said in our reading, united and filled with hope. Thank you.